folks, with Aaron, Paul, Tim, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. I'm Paul. This is Wayne. This is Tim. This is Andrew. I don't know about you guys, but I am all about assembling these Avengers. Hell yes, you are. Oh, yeah. So we've all seen it now, right? Affirmative. Yes. Three of us went and saw it together. Yeah. We held hands the entire movie. We made our we made wives sit far away, and we just sat there and held hands tightly. I, I did flirt with Andrew during the movie. Well, before the movie, during the trailers. It's true, he did. What Wayne passed down is great. Wayne uh, Wade was sitting between us, and Wayne passed down through Wade that he thought I looked quite uh quite stunning. Well, and we learned we learned while in St. Louis this week that Andrew smells amazing. That's true. Thanks to uh, a certain podcaster's wife, we now know I smell amazing, which I think I was unaware of, but I appreciate it. Well, you know, you smell like an English garden and perhaps the hopes and dreams of a nation. Well, it, and it was odd how many people started sniffing my neck after that happened. So <laughs> I had a lot of people sticking their nose right by my neck going. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. Andrew also gave me a uh Scarlet Spider action figure and became my favorite host. Yes, Andrew. Andrew must be uh, trying to get votes this coming election because uh, <laughs> I got a Gears of War action figure too. I was very thank you, Andrew. By the way, wait, wait. and I got a Rick action figure from The Walking Dead. Are no, you got Paul works for Hickeys. Yeah, no, <laughs> no and, Andrew was trying to buy our love, but you weren't there, Paul, so you didn't get anything. Andrew bought me beer last year. We're good. But we but we all shared Christine, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, uh, woo, that was a late night at the hotel room, let me tell you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a great time. Fear the Con was awesome, and, and the fact that it topped off the Avengers even better, I, I, I was just blown away by the movie. I I don't think I could have asked for a better Avengers movie. It, it met my very high expectations. What did you guys think? This was the first comic book movie I can think of that I walked away without a single complaint. There's always something I can nitpick. I can't nitpick anything because it was so amazing. You know, it must have been really difficult to write for that many characters and keep them in the spotlight, but I, like nobody got the short end of the stick, I thought. And I've heard people whine about Captain America, but I thought everybody had, had a pretty solid role in that movie. I, I would absolutely agree with that. I, I like like Wayne. I, I don't have any picks to knit, and uh, I felt like everybody got the got the right amount of screen time. In fact, I was what my big concern was is because the Hulk effect is so intense. I figured that we wouldn't get much Hulk on the screen, and we got a lot of Hulk on the screen. Oh, Hulk I stole every scene he was in too. Well, and what I particularly liked about it is that this was a better Hulk movie than the last Hulk movie, sure. because you know. They they did that thing in the last Hulk movie where they hide all the special effects in the dark, and so it's kind of hard to see some of what the Hulk's doing. And so it was great seeing the Hulk out there in full-on daylight being awesome. I loved the Hulk. The Hulk was fantastic. And i got to say, you know, we've had three actors play the Hulk now in these modern uh, current films. And Ruffalo, I had big reservations going in. Loved this guy. This son of a bitch is now my Hulk. Mark, when I, when Mark I also Ruffalo, loved, uh, Mark Ruffalo stood his own when he was on the screen with um, Tony Stark, basically. Absolutely, yeah. No, he he was not in the background at all. What and I also there, loved you, is we've never seen action scenes like these in a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you look at the other superhero movies that have been really good, they've never been able to pull off the big natural flow of a superhero combat before. I mean, there have been some really good-looking combats, particularly in some of the the last Marvel movies, but nothing is compared to the fight scenes we saw in Avengers. No, the, absolutely. The panoramic shots where they would show everybody, you know, in time what they were doing during this ridiculous fight. It was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and the, the, the direction by Joss Whedon was just spot on. I mean, the spotlight was always where it needed to be. Paul, what do you think? You, I think you've been a little quiet during this conversation. I just like that. I didn't want to repeat too much of what I said last week. I, no, I agree with you guys. I, I loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I, um, you know, it, it, you guys are basically on point with what I was thinking. It's just it is a perfect example of a superhero comic book movie. Um, and it goes to show that you can have a comic book movie, and yeah, you don't necessarily need a ton of story, but you can still have it enjoyable for everybody. It doesn't need to just pander to comic book audiences and leave out, you know, the, the main the main folks. Um, well, and what I like about it is it is an unabashed superhero movie. I mean, exactly. you know, the, the success of the Batman movies particularly the the the, pat, the uh the the most recent sequel with uh, Heath Ledger mm-hmm. um you take the cape off of Batman in that movie you know you take the mask off of him you've still got a fantastic movie that is yeah. not it does not have to be a superhero movie um this was a superhero movie and it owned it it was you know all out we are ridiculous we are the fucking avengers and was not ashamed of it at all and it was hugely successful you know, both creatively and in the marketplace. I just, I, I can't get over what a fantastic job they did of making an Avengers movie. Yeah, you know, this is it, one of those things that people said for years you just couldn't do. I think it is worth mentioning that it opened domestically with $207 million, which uh, put it as, as the new highest gross scene movie on its opening week, and it beat out Harry Potter Death of Hells Part Two from last year as the new... New King of the Hill, and uh, you know, internationally, it's up to about three quarters of a million dollars, uh, three quarters of a billion dollars, billion with, with a B, B. billion yeah. with a B. So, I mean, Avatar kind of sits at the king of the hill of the uh, all-time overall gross internationally and domestic combined with two point six billion dollars. But I mean, the Avengers certainly has been streaking up that list in its first two weekends out. Well, and it won't even open in Japan until August. So yeah, it's not but it did everywhere it did, yet. No, but it did open earlier. It opened a week earlier in about sixty percent of the international market. So it, it kind of, yeah, I know it hasn't opened everywhere yet, but that kind of balances out a little bit too. But it made it made fourteen million dollars on a weekday. On a Wednesday, it made fourteen million dollars. That's so ridiculous. I, Paul, why are you not buying us presents? Why are you here, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where you found 14 million fat chicks willing to pay you a dollar each. Uh, <laughs> I live in Virginia. Um, <laughs> I'm here because I spent $15 million the next day. So I, I got to pay the American Express bill. <laughs> what was on hookers and blow? So, you know, Maybe. obviously they're, they're going to make an Avengers movie sequel. Yes. Um, does Joss Whedon direct that? Don't know uh, yet. They have not announced anything other than that they are talking about a second movie after this next round of solo movies. Mm-hmm. 
I would say why, as long as they come to financial terms, as long as there's not a business reason not to, why wouldn't you? I mean, he, he directed a movie that, that set a new record for weekend gross. Why wouldn't you give it to him? Well, I mean, I think they'd offer it to him. It's just, it's just a matter of if he'd take it. Sure. And if you're Joss Whedon, why wouldn't you take it? <laughs> well, and don't you just imagine that, you know, down the street, DC is going, why didn't we let this guy do a Wonder Woman movie? Or a Green Lantern movie, or any movie. Well, you know, he was on yeah. he was on deck for for Wonder Woman. Yeah, and then they said, "Meh, we're not gonna do a Wonder Woman movie." Yeah, that's. And if there's ever anybody to write a Wonder Woman movie, I'm thinking it's Joss Whedon. He does have a knack for writing that character's type. Yeah, for well, writing it, a strong. In lady. fairness, DC had a Wonder Woman. Marvel had a Hulk. No, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not diminishing the the marketing and the strategy around the Avengers movie. You know, the fact that they did, you know, uh, the Hulk movie, Captain America, Thor, two Iron Man movies, you know, to, to, to get us here, you know, with the stingers on the end of each one of those teasing the Avengers movie. I mean, this was a multi-year plan that has paid off huge for Marvel. Absolutely. I mean, it's essentially, Avengers is essentially the sixth movie in a series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, next year we're going to get Iron Man 3 and Thor 2. Yeah, and what I loved about it being, you know, in a series was that we didn't have to see any origins. It's just yeah. unapologetically right into the movie. Yeah, it was just on. Yes. Yeah, characters show up. There's no bother explaining who the characters are. It's assumed that you already know who they are. Well, and I like that they even talked about characters that weren't on screen. You know, so so, you know, Thor has returned to Earth. And shit's going down, and they just kind of throw off this line to the side. By the way, we've moved Jane Foster to safety. Yeah, you know, yeah, that picture ever. And I'm like, nicely done. Yeah, I mean, Captain America didn't have a supporting staff that's, uh, you know, alive. Exactly. <laughs> so there was no no need to do that with him. But well, I would, you guys I would, see? I would say Paul. the only problem I had is that they, and this is a nitpick. Sorry, I'm going to nitpick. I'm surprised that. There wasn't more. There wasn't a discussion between, and maybe I missed it. Maybe there was. Was there a discussion between Captain America and Tony Stark about Captain America working with Tony's father? I there was a throw-off line about Howard Stark at one point, but there was no like committed screen time to it. No. You know my only complaint, Paul, that you weren't in town to watch it with us, and that Aaron left too soon because that was actually one of the highlights for me was to get to watch this movie that's had all this build time with Tim and Andrew. It was pretty awesome, and, it, and Thistle, Thistle Downs there as well, and yeah, it was it was great. Well, we'll be there next year. I got a little as we left. I got a little choked up actually. Yeah, when you just said, hugging oh, everybody. Next year, you need to stop dicking the dog and come to Fear the Con. Oh, man, I got to take another drink. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a good way to get the drinking started. <laughs> For those listening, we turned uh, Tim's wife into a drinking game. But only for but only for the first drink because seriously, <laughs> we, we, did, we didn't want to die. The funny books drinking game has gotten kind of boring since they can't make Paul's mom jokes anymore, because that would have been one thing that you have to take a hit for. Well, but we've substituted that with Bat Mancho and uh, comic book case, so we're good. <laughs> And every negative thing you see about Umberto Ramos. Oh, yeah, that that one. That. That, my liver hates that one. Every, every, not every, not every time you talk to him, every sentence you say negative about him, you got to take a drink. That's right. I, I really, I think, 
I was I, I have to go to rehab because of uh, the death of Superman. Okay, so <laughs> so real quick, one one surprising thing you, you you like going into the movie, you're like, wow, or oh, what you know, some something surprising about the Avenger movie that you liked, Paul. Um, I, like I said, uh, I'm I was surprised at uh, Gwyneth Paltrow being in the film and the death of the. Oh film. yeah. Because yeah, neither I one no of those I let spo- get spoiled for me, and both were pleasant surprises. And by the way, if we could just have Gwyneth uh, Paltrow wearing shorty uh, jean shorts in all the movies she's in, I'm down. A million times, yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm seeing that in the 3D IMAX, and I'm like, yeah, this, this is all right. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. well, you know, all, yeah. I, all I see is somebody who named their kid Apple, and then it just, <laughs> it just goes out the window for me. I don't care. I don't want to have kids with her. I just want to... Well, <laughs> what, what, yeah. what do you hey, want? My wife was sitting next to me while I watched the movie, and I still couldn't help but stare because that was hot. Yeah, Aaron, what was the one surprise for you going to the Avengers? You know, I think what I what I found so surprising was uh, the number of of uh, I, I don't want to call it fan service, but uh, the, the appreciation for the fans. You know, like the the stinger at the very end of the credits, where the 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 Avengers are all sitting around a table, you know, eating, and they're just completely zonked out. But you know, you've got to have a scene in the Avengers where they eat. That, that was the awesome, pointless scene ever. That was goes on, and I yeah, I was dying. I was cracking the fuck up in that in that theater, and I think you know there are a whole lot of people in the theater who aren't comic book readers, and I think they're going, "Why is that so funny?" And I mean, I was just cracking up. Yeah, that bit, that that second stinger you're talking about, it got yeah. it got a laugh immediately, uh-huh. and then as it you know everything got quiet, and as it just went on and on, people just kept erupting like little waves of giggles yeah. going across the going across the auditorium. God, I, I just thought that was hysterical. But yeah, that's I that's what I what I what I was surprised and appreciated the most about the movie. You know Tim? what I was oh before we sorry Tim, I don't mean to cut you off. But he's going to cut you off. Yeah, but I'm going to cut you off cuz well, we're talking about the shawarma scene. You know, I was reading about that the other day. You know, cuz I'm watching it and Chris Evans has his like his sandwich in front of his face the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why is he doing that? <laughs> and it's because he had a beard. Because they filmed that scene so long after because that was the film they filmed. That was the scene they filmed like a month ago after uh-huh. one of the press conferences. He had grown a beard for another part, and rather than shave it, they just put prosthetics, makeup, and he covered his face with the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, I was I, I I didn't know the helicarrier was in that movie. Okay. That uh, was a pretty yeah. awesome scene. Yeah, I was floored when they did the helicarrier. I I didn't see it coming at all. Well, for me, I really enjoy, I mean, there's a lot, but the one thing I was probably surprised about was uh, the Black Widow and her ability to utilize her spy-like, basically her ability to play people so effectively. You see her do it with the Russian general early on, and then the second time she does it on the Helicarrier is, of course, even better. You know, that was mine too, Andrew, and the Helicarrier one got me. Yeah, yeah. I color me a mark, but I... I was convinced. Yeah, she she just sucks you right in, and and I think a lot of that is kudos to probably Scarlett Johansson and the direction she got for, from from Joss Whedon, and she just suckers not even though you've seen her do it before in the movie, she suckers you in right along with the the character she's playing. 
Yeah, I expected the all of the great scenes that we got of her wearing really tight clothes and focusing on shots on certain anatomy parts. I didn't expect her to be that strong of a character, and I didn't expect the her to be that good of an actress. And that's what surprised me more than anything else was just how good she came off in the movie. Yeah, Wade was like, there wasn't enough Scarlett Johansson cleavage. I'm like, did you see her butt when she was in front of Loki? I was like, is that a double? That might be a body double. I, an ass double? It may be. An LMD. An LMD. But, yeah, it it was a great movie, and, and it was a great cap to Fear the Con. So, so, Aaron, how did your Fear the Con experience go for you this year? You know, my Fear of the Con experience was pretty darn good. It was a it was a little stressful going in because I was grossly unprepared for my Squires of Rainsboro game, but uh, everything worked out. Everything worked out. I uh, I pressed some uh, migrant farm workers uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, into work for me, and uh, we, we did good. No, I had, I had a great con. Uh, wing night was fun as always. I, I have one minor complaint, and that's that uh, we have absolutely no service out on the patio at Cybergs. And so I will next year buy a bottle and migrate over to the hotel. And, the problem uh, with that is where do we smoke cigars? Out, out by the pool. Okay. Because they know. got a pool over there. All right. You know, I'm gonna I'm just gonna buy me a big old bottle of bourbon and be good to go. Yeah. I I, I I did not get near my drink on that I needed to have on on Thursday night. And, uh, you know, and I don't know. I don't understand. You know, at Cybergs where you see a whole bunch of guys hanging out on the patio, you don't want to come out and, and be their waitress. And, and, have you looked at the picture of all of us? Oh, we are amazing. Do you think they were just afraid of their love for us? Yes. Yeah, they're afraid they're just gonna come over and like start taking off their clothes. Oh, and maybe yeah. drinking everybody's stuff on Thursday because I was trashed. See, I just <laughs> kept walking. I just kept walking around going, Paul. Because, you know, I forgot that he wasn't going to be there, and I, I didn't want him to think that I didn't recognize him, so you, I just called everyone Paul. <laughs> there was a guy who was standing with us when Wayne first walked up to us at wing night, and he like he's like, Andrew, Aaron, Tim, Paul, and the other guy's like, wait, I'm not Paul. <laughs> yeah. oh, I got some really weird looks when I did the Paul thing, because I, re- I did it throughout the con. <laughs> See, he didn't forget you, Paul. Well, he kind of did. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we should roundtable it just like we did Avengers and talk about one thing we, we liked. And and I got to say, my favorite part of Fear the Con, this is kind of lame, I had a lot of great games, but moving over to the jury from the quality in, I didn't huh. get a cold. I didn't oh. get pneumonia. I didn't yeah. feel like I needed some sort of series of shots to prevent me from dying afterwards. Or an exorcism. Or an exorcism. <laughs> I didn't feel like I was going to be stabbed in my sleep at any given minute. Over yeah. the, Drury- the Drury Inn is essentially a five-star resort when compared to the Quality Inn. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So a lot of a lot of lot of uh, congratulations to Wayne and his guys for moving us uh, the room block over there this year because man was it was it well, nice and the, nothing the, the but folks, positive feedback too about and it. And the folks at the Drury were so nice because yeah. you know you've got all this open space there that I mean from the time I hit the 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 hotel was just occupied. I mean we there were games going on all across that hotel and the they Drury, have they were they were so welcoming. What can we get for you? What can we do for you? And they have a nice area uh, right there in the front of the jury. It's like their little uh, breakfast uh, get-together area where people do be – I'd come back at 1 in the morning, and there would be people set up gaming in there. Yeah. Well, and their happy hour, pretty damn awesome. 
There is three free drinks, wine, beer, well drinks, uh, from 5.30 to 7 each evening you're there, which, unfortunately, we could only take advantage of the first night we were there, because the other two nights we were gaming, but... But they also uh, had, uh, you know, hot dogs and chicken uh, chicken strips and, I mean, all kinds of food. Nachos with cheese-like substance. Yeah, well, a viscous cheese-like substance. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, the, the, the jury gets high marks from me. Um, I would say my highlight of the con was... Uh, uh, I, I was, I'll, I'm gonna give you two because they, they both come down to the same thing. I was really pleased with the way my, uh, uh, my Fear the Con 5 and a Little Child Shall Eat Them went off. Um, I, I, the opening was just as much fun as I thought it would be. Oh, you are a we, sick we, man. We had, uh, terrific players around the table and I, and I just really got a kick out of it. And the game that I stressed about the most, uh, Squires of Rainsboro, because, man, I was still generating characters two hours before the game. Or I should say Tim was generating characters, and James <laughs> was gen- were generating characters, too. Uh-oh. You guys still there? Uh-oh. I'm still I'm here. here. Aaron just cut out, didn't he? Well, I'm just going to keep rolling. Yeah, so Aaron's Squires game went fantastically. Uh, Tim, what was your highlight? Man, I had a lot of fun running um, you know, Knights of Rainsboro. But, Andrew, I think you know what I'm going to say. Japanovation? No. Oh, six. Yes, that that gaming wise, that was my highlight as well. Go. Do, do, we played dogs in the vineyard. <laughs> you, were, you were brother Bobby Ray, and I was brother Robert. Uh, Paul, have you ever played dogs in the vineyard before? No, I'm not familiar with it. Essentially, you're out in frontier days, Southwest America. You're, you're essentially a Mormons. They don't call you Mormons. You're essentially Mormons. Mm-hmm. In your group are, are called dogs, and they go from settlement to settlement out on this vast frontier, and they're basically empowered by the government and religion to uh, enforce law, to, to basically be investigator, judge, and jury, and carry out sentencing uh, for any crimes. or sin- When we say crimes, we include all the sins under the crime category. So if someone's having an affair... You do what you got to do to punish that person. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know if I want to go into too much too much of a gaming story, but we'll just we'll just say that the role playing in that game was phenomenal. Yeah, it was run by Michael Matthews, who's a, a very good kind of theatrical GM. Uh, who you know really gets into the acting of his NPCs, and man, it was that guy can run a game. One of my favorite one shots of all time was his Dread: The Last Hurrah a couple of years ago. And I mean, I was yeah. so good. And I was just going to say, and I'm I'm going to challenge him to to run it again, slot six next year. I mean, I was standing up at one point. It it, it just the the pacing worked so well to where we peaked at this. Uh, it basically was what turned out to be a trial in front of the entire town. Um, and man, I was it was just it, it had me. It was it was a great game. I mean, I played a lot of great games. I played Fiasco with Tracy and Aaron. I played uh, I played uh, Ghost of Rainsboro with Thistledown. I, I played a lot of great games, but that. That dog's first time ever playing it. It just it had me. So tell me a little bit about. Uh, so did the Rainsboro games go well? Well, did Wayne want to say what his favorite thing was? No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I I had two I wanted to hit on too. One of them was my uh, big game that I ran, the Bard's Bard, the Bardening, turned out so wonderful. The, uh, the players really got what I was going for, and it was a pure comedic game. There was no combat at all, and they did a horrible, disturbing things during the course of the game. I couldn't have asked for more. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun. Great group of people. 
Uh, one of the other highlights, though, was playing with uh, Tim and Aaron in the one of the Worlds of Darkness games. The it started a little slow, but by the time we got to the end, they uh, they took my character to a gay bar, had him get a Vietnam flashback where he was throwing bottles of alcohol over, thinking they were grenades, and they used him as their pawn to go burn down a house. Yeah, we sort of did. It was uh, <laughs> when we got rolling. At that point in the game, because so I started a little slow, but we got into it, especially near the end. The three of us together were really rolling at that point near the end of the game, and that was a lot of fun. Just getting a chance to game with both guys, and you know, having uh, just the interaction there. The DM's like, and everybody lives happily ever after, except for you, Wayne. You're in jail for art. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and Wayne just didn't play in games this this weekend for FearTheCon. He was also a system. Oh, that was a very profitable system, too. Because Wayne, Wayne advertised that he took bribes, and he was the final arbiter in this game system that, was it, it was just, was it Dan who, who created this? Yeah, Dan was running the game, and it was uh, Gingers Have No Souls with the D-Wayne system. And the D-Wayne <laughs> system was open to bribes. So I got during the course of that game, because one guy actually got a hold of my wife ahead of time and was talking to her about what would be good bribes. So during the course of the system, I got a uh, a beer called the Naughty Ginger. I got a piece of kryptonite. I got a big box of sugar-free cookies. Uh, I got a, big, a Lego set that was uh, Superman, Lex Luthor, and Wonder Woman that's put together, and I've my wife caught me playing with it the other day. Those things aren't cheap. No, they're not. It's it's one of the things I've looked at on the shelf. It's like I really want to buy this, but I don't want to spend the money on it. I so hate someone when bought it. Me playing with it. She's like, well, why, <laughs> why didn't you ask me? I'm like, well, you know. There's no way to like. Easy. Yeah, there's no way to like just segue away from that gracefully. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the D Wayne system. I need to try to get into that game next year because it was so profitable at the. Uh, <laughs> This, the game itself was uh, based on North, Norse myth, and they destroyed the universe. So Wayne's like, I got a mortgage to pay. We're running this all six slots. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the question Paul was asking was about the Knights of Ransboro games. Is that right, Paul? Yeah, you, you, you had the first one in slot one, Tim, with Escape from Dogger Island. Why don't you give us a quick, uh, quick recap? Well, I don't want to go into it too much because we're going to do no, no. the actual plays on it. Right. Um, but just in general how it went. Uh, it went pretty well. Um, I was, I, I was rather amused by, uh, the guy who got one of the, one of the characters. Um, yeah, I can't say too much about spoiling it. Uh, it went well. Um, we had, when, when somebody hands out 45 points of damage in a Savage Worlds game, that's, that's kind something. of a big old F you to whatever the heck he just hit. And that sort of happened. <laughs> that would probably even stun a big pink. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. I'm like, describe how you jellify this this poor guard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was seeing a regular guard. <laughs> well, it was right at the beginning, you know. It's like, oh, well. <laughs> here's the here's thread to cops. I can't wait to hear the recordings on those. I hope they turned out well. Um, I, My buddy Wade played in every single one, and he said he had a great time. And I said, well, Wade, that means that you are most directly responsible for any kind of crap that we have to clean up when we play Knights of Ransboro again. Because <laughs> yeah, Wade was in the second uh, the second game, uh, which was Ghost, which was slot four on the second day. With uh, Thistledown John was running that, and I was one of the, the players in it. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it was a great... I really want to play it because of Supernatural Heroes, and, and John had a great set of characters, and uh, I think I think it went really well, and it seemed like everybody had a great time. Yeah, I was really curious how the uh, how the tie-in went with, between the games. The whole one game impacting the next, you know, impacting yeah. the next. We had, we, what we did was we had, we'd have conversations, and so did John and Aaron come over and like, well, how did it go? And then I would go, you know, here's the three bullet points that happened that I think could impact you guys. And then they took stuff like Aaron gra- like grabbed one of my characters. He's like, I need that because he saw it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm gonna use him. I'm like, all right, here you go. And John John was the same way because you know there's a character that was central to uh, to my to you know the end game in my my slot, and I knew that John was gonna depend on what happened to him would you know equate to uh, the end game in his. So I'm like, well, here he, you know here you go. Here's what happened. Here's the character sheet. So. It happened. Like it wasn't. I don't know. I thought there could have been more ties, but I think I think it was organic. So, you know, it's better than most crossovers we're dealing with in comic books. Yeah, you thought Aaron was trying to just tie it together, but in reality, he looked and he said, "Ooh, a character that's fully slotted out. I don't have to do that then." <laughs> so. so yeah, Paul. I, I think it, I think it went pretty well. I think the recordings came out okay because we had a we we. Uh, we sort of claimed the board game room as our as our as our home base for recording for most games. So there was a they had one of the nice things about the new because vi- we not only did we have a new hotel, we also had a new gaming venue uh, there in Maryland Heights, and so they had one large room which was great. It had a stage, stage, a stage. They had a stage and a, they had a stage uh, exactly a PA system, but they also had these two side rooms uh, where you could go off and play board games, or they had a battle tech in one room, basically kind of medium sized meeting rooms. But I did think maybe I should comment while we were there, there was not one. But two children's birthday parties going on in that third meeting room in that hall, right next to where we were. I only wonder what those people thought of us. And uh, just before we we uh, cap off for the con, I want to give a shout out to my wife, who that was her first con actually gaming, and uh, she played like four or five games without any net, which you know a net is like somebody you know in the game, and uh, I thought she did pretty well. She so, did. I, mean, I was I, abused that her name tag said Mrs. Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she got comments on that. <laughs> she, she, she's like, well, why wouldn't I be Mrs. Tim? That's what they call me on the podcast. Like, whatever. So, yeah, Fear the Con, Avengers, effing awesome. But if that wasn't awesome enough, we've got more. Who got free comic books? I did. I did. I, I, did. I, say, I know Tim and I did because we hit free comic book day together. Yep, holding hands. So, <laughs> Paul... Because we've been fear the conning it for a while, why don't, why don't you hit on some of the some uh, some highlights from your free comic book day? Sure, yeah, I went to free comic book day that morning, and uh, we talked a little bit about how my comic shop is was going to have free pizza, free bagels, face painting. They had a tent outside with quarter comics and half price trade paperbacks, and the guy got all set for it. I mean, he had. No. Racks of plush toys and action figures and stuff for sale, and it was honestly there were. It's the most crowded I've ever seen. That there was a line out the door waiting for opening at 10 a.m. Now, now Paul, yes. I, I just need to know: Did he bust in the strangely attractive girls again this year? Yes. Oh, do you have pictures again this year? Uh, maybe. I oh, look, cause I took, okay. I, I, took, right. I mostly took pictures outside because I was just you know walking up and I got there probably around 10 till and I'm like, holy crap! There's like 50, 60 people waiting outside my comic book shop to holy get in that crap. door. 
Um, it was, it was, and I talked to him uh, this week, and he said it was very successful for him, which is, you know, it's always a plus when Free Comic Book Day does what it's intended to do. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I didn't stay very long because it, it kind of weirds me out when my comic shop is actually crowded. But I, I was able to get a, a couple of great books. I definitely, I was excited about the Mouse Guard hardcover. And I got my, my mitts on that one, and it was just as good as I thought it was going to be. Beautiful book. Um, definitely, I would have gladly paid for this book, but as free, it was just fantastic. And, uh, and a couple of surprise books. I mean, Atomic Robo is always a good one. Mm. Um, I was a little disappointed in the books from the big two. Like the the DC book, I felt was a little too too much setup and not enough interesting. But what about you guys? I don't want to go off on all my books. Well, I'll start off with Mouse Guard because I thought that was my biggest disappointment. The book looked beautiful. I mean, this is this hardcover I'm I'm holding right now. It looks amazing, and the Mouse Guard story in it was good. Mm-hmm. But the Mouse Guard story was only a couple pages in the beginning. And the rest of it, I didn't enjoy any of the other stories in the compilation at all. Really? And the Mouse Guard story, I said, was good, but it was one of the type of Mouse Guard stories where everything is just block of text describing. There's no dialogue. So, I mean, it was a really good Mouse Guard story, but I would have preferred one where you actually have characters talking to each other. And I could so that, that. that's why it was a disappointment for me. The, I said... Visually, this is a beautiful book. I mean, this thing, it looks like a kid's book to me. It does, and it even has the little thing when you open up the inside cover where it says this book belongs to, and it has a line for you to write your name. I had all those in all my kids' books growing up. I'm surprised you didn't like any of the other stories. I think the only one I didn't like was The Cursed Pirate Girl. I think the rest of them I all enjoyed. All in all, I don't I don't know that there were any of the Free Comic Book Day books that I actually really enjoyed. I liked all of the preview books, though. The ones where there's only a couple of pages here and there that give you uh, samples of what's coming out next. Um, I haven't read my Hypernaturals yet from Boom. I'm looking forward to that with Abnett and Lanning doing uh, Cosmic at Boom. Uh, I've got a Lady Death I haven't read yet. Um... One now, of the shops locally had some stuff that wasn't on the main list. So they got a couple of indie companies that just have little, uh, it's hard to even describe these, but these are really indie. Looks like people may have printed them on their own printers at home. And I got some of those that I have left to read through, too, that I'm looking forward to. Now, Wayne, have you read Bad Med- Medicine? Is that one you picked up? It is one I've picked up, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. Should I add that? Should I put that next on the list? Was it good? Uh, I, I like the story concept. I like where they're going. The art is, you know, it, it's a, not a superhero book. It's uh, it's kind of the story about this doctor who's kind of, uh, you know, was this hot shot. I think your stereotypical young surgeon who kills someone goes off for five years and they get sucked back back into the world. So I really like where the story's going. I'm I'm so so on the art. It's very non-typical superhero art, as you might expect. But uh, it's from Oni Press. Uh, it's written by Nunzio de Flippis and Christina Weir, and uh, it's illustrated by Christopher Minton. You know, for me, my free comic book day was very much driven by the companies that posted their free comic book day comics on Comicsology. So I read all of them that were up there because there's only five or six. And uh, Bad Medicine was one I just bought thinking I, I won't like this. And I was actually pretty intrigued by it. 
looking through it, it looks interesting. The art isn't great, but it's certainly not as bad as Umberto Ramos. <laughs> Drink. Shit. <laughs> but my favorite, I mean, my favorite out of what was available uh, to me was definitely Atomic Robo. I mean, anytime you put Dr. Dinosaur in a comic book with Atomic Robo, I'm I'm fully invested right away. And, and my son even, we read the Atomic Robo Dr. Dinosaur stories because that's about right for his, his age level, and he just loves Dr. Dinosaur. Yeah, Atomic Robo is always one of the highlights of Free Comic Book Day. Whatever they release is going to be one of the best books. You know, it's a full comic. It's uh, it's a whole story. It's it's just great. It's just as good as anything they put out uh, the rest of the year. So, um, I have uh, I I'm kind of echoing Wayne on the the uh, mouse guard, and, and I know it's not a surprise. I, I actually did like the mouse guard story, but I was not interested in anything else they had. Uh, but let me tell you about a couple, uh, a surprise. Uh, so I, uh, I I picked up Worlds of Aspen 2012. And none of the stories that were in there were, were something that I wanted, you know, was inspired by. But they had, like, this, this two-page spread about Soul Fire. And I'm looking at all these characters, I'm like, these look like, you know, these characters look cool. You've got, like, angels and, and like, fairy queens and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, that might be worth just, you know, flipping through. And um, the other one that I got that... I, I sort of liked, and I know that the wife has now requested, is a book by uh, Third World Studios called Finding Gossamer. Um, this one seems to be about a looks looks generally speaking it looks like a uh, kind of a, a Peter Pan kind of thing when it's going to be all said and done. But uh, it's written by David Rodriguez and drawn by Sarah Ellerton, and she really dug that one. And what's the general premise to it? Uh, you know, it, they're setting it up that this this boy who's a kind of a, a kind of a genius level kind of character um, is trying to stop the school from uh, you know finding out this mathematic formula that'll open a portal to a more fantastical realm. And so on the front, it's a picture of the little boy and his sister in this like dragon dog kind of creature. They haven't. They didn't get that far in the free comic book day, but I'm assuming they're going to open the portal, and that's when the story's really going to end. We're really going to start. I mean, that does sound interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And Aspen usually does beautiful books. Aspen Aspen did a, pr- a pretty nice free comic book day. It just wasn't a story I wanted to know. But like, look at all these Soulfire covers. I'm like, I could try that. You know, I didn't. So I didn't grab that book, but I thought about it because I've my wife and I both have really loved some of the Aspen stuff. But I cannot buy them single issue wise no, because there's... everything they do, it's so thin. Half of its ads, you have got to buy the trades to get into those stories. And if you buy the trades, the trades are all great mm. and the stories are wonderful. But I just I can't bring myself to buy an individual issue because I always end up getting angry at the issue because it's too short. Well, that, that's good. that's good to know. So there was a free comic book day book that I know that Paul wanted to talk about, which is the the Valiant book. Is that right? Yeah. Well, before I get into the Valiant book, I do want to touch on one of my biggest surprises was the 2000 AD book. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with 2000 AD, it's you know British comics, uh, but it's where Judge Dredd started and guys like Alan Moore and Steve Dillon and John Wagner and Rob Williams, um, who we've had on the podcast before. And they had a, a brand new Judge Dredd story and a bunch of short stories, and it was magazine size. So it kind of, I didn't, it kind of like 
I missed it at first because it didn't look like a regular comic book, but it was pretty cool. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've never actually read a Judge Dredd comic book, but I enjoyed it. And it, you know, it was one of those previews of a bunch of different books. And I'm pretty sure that they chose uh, Judge Dredd as the focus because of the new movie coming out. No, that's true. But, yeah, I've never read any of the Judge Dredd stuff either. And I, to be honest, I've never seen the original movie. I don't know why I should care about the character, but I am curious why I should care about the character. Yeah, I mean, it was a fun little story, uh, you know, and I, I, I enjoyed it. But one of the ones, like Tim said, that I was looking forward to the most was the preview of uh, Valiant's books. That you know, Valiant released a preview book showcasing their two first books, Harbinger and Exo um, Man of War, as well as art previews of some of their other upcoming titles like Archer and Armstrong, Rye, and uh, Bloodshot. So, uh, I, as as excited as I was for this, I know Wayne was like foaming at the mouth, waiting for the oh, Exo Man yes. of War book. I, uh, I'm very curious to hear what you thought about it, Paul, because I could not have been more excited. Yeah. I mean, I, the Valiant stuff was, I always loved the old Valiant stuff. I had every Valiant title. I have most of the issues of them from the, uh, the first run until Acclaim bought them and everything went bad. So I, I loved the characters. I loved all the stories. And I've been afraid that they weren't going to do this well. Just because some of the characters that I loved before, I just I didn't know what they were going to do with them. They've won me over with the with EXO. Yeah, I got to be. I free, love this book. Agreed. The free comic book day book didn't give me much, um, considering EXO Man of War came out before it, and the same preview of Harbinger was in both books, so I didn't get much out of the free comic book day book. But EXO Man of War number one by Robert Venditti, Carrie Nord. Uh, Stefano Guadino and Moose Bauman. Awesome. It was awesome. Actually, I think the preview in EXO of Harbinger had an extra page or two in it that wasn't in the free comic book day one. Yeah, I think so too. Because when I read it, I, I read the free comic book day one first, and then I read this, and it seemed like there was more story in this one for the preview. Yeah, it was it, so basically after picking up EXO Man of War number one, there was probably no point to me buying or picking up the free comic book day book, but. You know, still. You know, I was glad I grabbed it because I hadn't seen the preview art for some of the other titles. The only titles I knew for sure they were doing was going to be EXO and Harbinger, which were two of my favorite. Harbinger was my favorite Valiant title. So I was so excited it was going to come out. But I didn't know they were doing Archer and Armstrong. I got really excited to see the preview art of that and to see what they looked like they were going to do with Bloodshot. Well, and, you know, what what I'm excited about is uh, Bloodshot... Well, not Bloodshot. Archer and Armstrong is written by Fred Van Linty. You know, and I, I do love me some Fred Van Linty. Yeah, I was, uh, so I, like I said, I couldn't have been more excited by how EXO went because they did it very well. This is the original origin of EXO Manowar in the first telling. All of it was done in that first issue. It wasn't a decompressed storytelling like we're seeing here. I like that we're actually getting to see more of the character before he gets the armor. Yeah, and that's something I didn't get from the original. You know, I mean, there was an Exo Man of War number zero uh, with art by Joe Quesada from way back in the day with the original Valiant. But no, this book was just, it's a well-done book. It's well-written. It's interesting. I'm excited to see where it's going. It's, you know, yes, um, it'll eventually probably become a superhero book, but right now it's a good science fiction book, science fiction fantasy. And, uh, 
I, I enjoyed it, and the art was beautiful. It, yeah, it was a it. good start to this universe. I was about to comment on the art too, because I thought the art was wonderful for the type of story they're telling now. Mm-hmm. We'll see what we'll see how the art looks once it becomes the superhero book a little further on. But for being, you know, at this time frame, the artist does an incredible job of drawing those period costumes and the uh, the armor and just the uh, the stubble on their chins and things like that. It's the art very much fits the time period of the story. So, you know, Valiant, successful. Hopefully this book sells well, because creatively, very successful relaunch. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping for that Ultraverse relaunch, Wayne. You get Ultraverse, I'll be happy. <laughs> I, I would buy that, too, because I, I like the Ultraverse as a well. A new Prime, a new Rune book, and I will be happy. <laughs> But speaking of relaunches, DC these past weeks has been starting up its second wave of New 52 books. Um, eight books were canceled. Eight books are starting up. Uh, now, the ones that have been released thus far are World's Finest, GI Combat, Earth 2, and Dial H. Now, Wayne, I know you read a couple of these. Yep, I read uh, Earth 2. I went back and got World's Finest, and I read uh, Dial H. And it wasn't as unanimously positive for me as Valiant was, but I I really enjoyed Earth 2 and World's Finest. Yeah, I'm with you. Earth two, in fact, out of the four that I read, and I read all, because uh, I also read GI Combat, out of the four that I read, I, I pretty much hated Dial H. I'm sorry, I hated it. Yeah. I thought it was crap. I didn't like the art. I didn't like the writing. I didn't find it interesting. I thought it was too quirky. Paul. I found it sad because it was the one I was looking forward to the most because I like some of the old series, and it was by far the worst out of them. Yeah, but and wait. Paul, did, did you did you like the original Dial H series? I I, I got to be honest, I didn't read it. So, okay. Um, you know, I, I, on top of that, you know, GI Combat, the story I was looking forward to the most, which is the War That Time Forgot. Originally, the War That Time Forgot was a series focusing on World War II um, and dinosaurs. And what this is instead is this is a modern war with dinosaurs, and I got I enjoyed what I read, but it was also only a 14-page story, and then it had a backup story about the unknown soldier that was, you know, that was longer. So the story I actually was interested in was only 14 pages, and where it was cool, and I enjoyed seeing the dinosaurs fighting the tanks, I, it wasn't enough for me to pay four dollars for this book. So I think what I'll wait is I'll wait till these books go down in price or they're on sale. Because the story that I'm interested in, if it's only going to be 14 pages, I'm not paying 4 bucks for 14 pages of dinosaurs and tanks. So I had talked about a, a while back, I, I think I mentioned on the air, that I was picking up the Huntress miniseries. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really talk about it on the mics, but I enjoyed it. There were a few things that didn't quite make sense. That now everything completely makes sense after reading... The uh, world's finest in Earth too. The uh, you know it's just I was trying to figure out who Helena was after the New Fifty Two, and you know it just the pieces weren't fitting together until now. The uh, the big reveal in these books that you know Power Girl is the Earth Two Supergirl, and Huntress is Earth Two Robin. Robin, and you know Helena Wayne. I they hooked me with that. I wasn't sure how I felt about having the multiverse back and having all of these Earths, 
But those two characters, I am loving this take on the characters. And I love the costumes. Yeah. I loved Earth 2, number one. I loved Earth 2, number one. I thought it was a fantastic book. And I enjoyed World's Finest. Um, So I think both of them I'm going to give a second issue. Now, Andrew, did you read a couple of these? I, I did not. Oh. I'm sorry. I saw. I see the letter of my name behind this topic on the outline, but no, actually, I did not. I, I thought about, and maybe this is where it came from. I, I really enjoyed Dial H as a child growing up. Uh, I had a big stack of them. I, I enjoyed them changing from hero to hero, and so I was very much tempted to pick up the new Dial H. But I, I kind of looked at the preview pages, and I figure a lot of my love is probably very much based on nostalgia, not quality of the original books, and I decided not to. Yeah, well, you were smart, because Dial H did suck. But I recommend Earth 2 and World's Finest, uh, and I have no qualms recommending either one of those books. Wayne, would you okay. agree? Yeah, I agree, and I, I'm i not... Some of the premise of Earth 2 still bothers me, but the story was so good, I can just ignore it. I, I always like the Justice Society coming before the Justice League, and that's not the case in Earth 2. You know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman all existed as the first wave of heroes before you see any of the Justice Society. Mm. But the story was so good that I got past that, you know, even though I liked them being the older generation of heroes, I well, still know, really enjoyed this. Yeah. World's, oh, go ahead. I was, was going to say, World's Finest sounds, sounds pretty interesting, but go on. It's not like you were going off on, on something. Well, because, uh, you know, it's very odd to see Jay Garrick in college. Um, oh, yeah. And, and at the end of Earth 2, you see Jay Garrick in college. And I'm used to Jay Garrick being the old guy. Yeah. Um, right. So, and you know, I don't like charm. the preview art for the uh, the Green Lantern costume that Alan Scott's going to wear because it looks much more like a modern Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. I can, I always like their dated costumes. And if you're going to put them in modern day, it is harder to give them more dated costumes. But, but I mean, I, I thought the first issue was strong. I... And it's kind of funny, because the first issue, all about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and spoiler warnings on, they all die. So I'm curious as to who the cast of this comic's going to be, or if it's just going to be a general story about Earth 2. But I'm enjoying it, and I'm, I'm hooked enough to give it another issue. And uh, hopefully, if the second issue is as strong as the first, I'll keep it going. Yeah, and I'm, an, I'm keeping going on both of these books for now, Earth 2 and World's Finest, because... I really like this take. I've never cared about Power Girl. She's always been just a uh, just a pretty character to have in a book that I never thought could hold a uh, a story. But I like the personality they've given her here. I like her uh, Supergirl costume better than I like her new Power Girl costume. And the idea of Helena as Robin, I love her Robin costume. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. You know, now that they're in the DC universe, how is that enough influence? Batman and Superman and stuff like that. Now, while DC is starting their second wave, they're also in the midst of their first major crossover in the Batman books, Night of the Owls. And, you know, it crosses over into issue nine of every Bat title. Batman, Batwing, Batman and Robin, Detective Comics, um, Batgirl. Now, Tim... I, I think I convinced you to, to, to hop on board for this crossover. Maybe not all the issues, but some of them. Which ones did you pick up? Yeah, the only one I picked up was Batman and Robin 9. I thought about Batwing, and I'm going to be real interested in, to hear what you guys have to say. But uh, Batman and Robin, um, it, you know, it, it was a quality book as far as uh, the art. 
Um, I did like the part of the story where they actually explained why they were going after the guy they were going after. It yeah, wasn't that, just this generic hit list. No, that that was good. And this is also the one that I read out of the Night of the Owls, uh, was Batman Robin. And, yeah, I like the uh, exposition double-page spread that they had in the middle of this, where the, the, the Talon kind of explains why he's here killing this one guy. And... When you said these guys are long lived after they kind of come back from death, you are not joking, Paul. Yeah, yeah, because this guy was—we're uh, talking colonial times, I think. Yeah, seventeen seventy-eight. Yeah. You know, so if you enjoyed Batman and Robin, the Night of the Owls essentially storyline is these—I'm not going to call them immortal, but they're these reanimated hitmen throughout time are basically all unleashed on Gotham in one night, and each book essentially is focusing on a different talent and their hit squad and, and their hit and some type of bat he- hero trying to stop them. And so they're all very similar. They're, they're all done in ones and it's all like Batman or this bat character versus this talent. And they all have an explanation of why that talent, you know, where that talent came from, why they're after this particular character, that kind of thing. Um, so I gotta be honest, I've enjoyed every issue that I've read Reading them all is a little redundant because they're all the same story. Um, they're all, like I said, here's a Talon, here's their history, here's why they're searching this guy out, and the Bat character defeats them in one issue. Um, so it starts to feel a bit monotonous. Exactly. You know, and while all of them are different stories, it's generally the same premise in each book. Huh. Um, now, Detective Comics number nine features a talent uh, assault on Arkham Asylum, and I enjoyed the book. I thought it was really well done. Um, now, the one that you were asking about, Batwing number nine, I liked it. I liked it. Uh, you know, the creative team of Judd Winnick and Marcus Toe, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the, the interest we have in the character, I think they make him interesting. Um, and this sounds... I'm not trying to stereotype here, but Batwing is very similar in mannerisms and characteristics to Black Panther. Um, you know, he, he, he comes from Africa. He, he, has, he has a very, you know, he's very regal. Um, and so, and, and this, in, such, in this book, he's dealing with an attack on the UN. And so it's a, it's a story that I would imagine the Black Panther having. Um, but seeing as how I don't read Black Panther, and I don't think there is a Black Panther book, the fact that DC is doing a book uh, focusing on African superhero. I'm enjoying it. And, again, Marcus Toe is the regular artist on it, and we know we love Marcus Toe. And I love Judd Winnick. So this was a good book. Batwing number nine was a good book. Batgirl number nine was stellar, um, actually. I really enjoyed that one by Gail Simone. Now, it's a shame that you didn't read Batman number nine, though, because that's the one that ties it all together. You know, Batman number nine is is, you know, it has little sequences that show what everyone else is doing. So you have a, a, a panel from Batman and Robin, number nine, a panel from Batgirl, a panel from Nightwing, things like that. And um, it just, I'm really, despite the monotony of it, and you don't need to read all of them to understand it, obviously, because you read Batman, you guys both seem to enjoy Batman and Robin, number nine, without issue. But I'm, I'm just, I really am enjoying this. I'm enjoying that it's all in one month. And I like how they're tying it in. You know, they, they, they're, it's really well coordinated, I think. So if we were going to pick up one other one, you'd say Batman 9 would be the one to go to? Hands down. Hands okay. down, Batman 9. Um, it's a beautiful book, art by Greg Capullo. Um, and it's basically, you know, the, these 
Talons are assaulting Wayne Manor, not knowing that Batman or that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Of course, they find that out. Um, and so it's you know it's basically Batman letting loose on these talons like we've never seen him let loose before. And it's just it's a dynamite book. I am it, enjoying the hell out of it. And Batman Eight is the beginning of that assault where it ends with him getting into the the Bat Mech. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you know that that Batman number eight pretty much leads into the Night of the Owls. So if, I, if you really want to get this full story, go with 8 and 9. Yeah, I think I'm going to, because I really, I enjoyed Batman and Robin enough and, and kind of the glimpse into it. But I don't, I don't, I want to avoid the monotony that you're talking about with, with everything having the same format and outline, but I would like to see the rest of the main storyline. Yeah, and that, so I recommend, you know, in fact, i got to be honest, I, I keep saying, that's like the third time I said it in this podcast, uh-huh. but I would pick up the whole Court of Owls storyline. I mean, you don't need to. Uh, that's that's been this run of Batman, but I've really enjoyed it. And the Night of the Owls, I've I've enjoyed it. I think it's just a, a, a nice event, um, you know. And and we're going to be talking about a couple events further down that I don't think are as well coordinated as this one. But <laughs> I enjoyed the hell out of Night of the Owl, or I'm enjoying the hell out of Night of the Owls. Um, and I'm I, just still waiting for that uh, for the one coming up with Red Robin. Yes. Yeah. I cannot wait for them to release that book. Which book was that? Oh, that's Batman the Dark Knight number nine. Yep. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that Batman number nine came out before some of the others. But, you know, again, you can read one without having read, read all of them. And I, I gotta be, I, I recommend doing that. Now, just, uh, as an aside, you know, we're a couple months into this. How are you guys feeling about the new DC logo up there in the top left corner? It's awful. It doesn't bug me anymore. I got to be honest. It, I don't even think about it anymore. Would you judge it? Uh, would you would you judge it as better or worse or the same as the previous one? I like the previous one more. Wayne. I like the previous one more as well. It doesn't That's, bother me like it did at first, but I like the previous one more. It's I, I very much enjoyed the previous one before, and it does bug me a lot because I I read all of these on on my iPad. Sorry to. Um, so, but, but like right now I have it open to cover view for, so I have all nine issues of Batman and Robin up on my screen. And so I can see, you know, the first six issues that have the old DC comics and then the last three that went to the new and man, the old one looks so much nicer. Yeah. You know, it, it's like John Carter. There's a simple there, <laughs> but it doesn't jump out at me and say, this is DC comics. I'm going to have to drink. Just again. like. Just yeah. like John Carter didn't jump out and say, here's what this character is oh, in this advertising. God. Take a shot. Take a shot. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, I think that's a good summary of Night of the Owls. So, dirty vodka is awesome. <laughs> so, you know, whereas Batman is currently in the mix, the midst of it, the big event it's been building towards, Green Lantern seems to be building towards another big event um, in the Green Lantern universe. Now, Jeff Johns, who set up all these different cores in stories like the Sinestro Core War and um, Blackest Night and all of those, he seems to kind of be systematically also taking apart all of the cores that he set up. Um, you know, the Sinestro Core essentially is no more. I mean, it's still around, but it's yep. on its last remnants. And the, the uh, well, the battery, I said, the, their battery has been destroyed and all of their rings are shut off, except for one ring that was made that's kind of like the uh, the old ring that Kyle had mm-hmm. when he was the only Green Lantern. There is one ring out there now. There is one Yellow Lantern, and that came out of New Guardians. Because I don't know if anyone else is reading New Guardians, but all of these books are tying together. What happens in Green Lantern, at least, is affecting New Guardians quite a bit. Oh, really? Because I'm not reading New Guardians. 
So how how are they influencing each other? Well, New Guardians has one of each, uh, you know, one of each of the core. And the last issue of New Guardians was entirely around the Yellow Lantern coming back and finding out that the the Sinestro Corps is gone. And it's about his them forging a new ring for him. So he has a single ring that isn't tied to the original yellow battery. Interesting. I wonder if they'll have to do the same with the Indigo Tribe, because the others uh, on, that <laughs> battery's exploded too. Yeah, the Indigo uh, Lantern disappeared. He was called back to... You know, back to their home planet to deal with Sinestro and uh, and Hal being there. Uh, so in the last issue of New Guardians, their their Indigo Lantern was pulled away. Hmm. Very so, much tying together. What you find out in Green Lantern number nine is that the Indigo Tribe is basically made up of the greatest killers in the galaxy, and the Indigo, you know, basically Abin Sur and. Um, this character who's not really fleshed out much. He seems like a guardian, but I think he's just a native of the planet. Uh, basically forged the indigo rings as a way of basically bringing compassion to these serial killers, these worst yeah. of the universe. And so the ring is the only thing that makes them good. Yeah, I mean, all of these characters that you've seen as these, uh, you know, I guess gushy, emotional uh, indigo lanterns, are all the scum of the universe mm-hmm. that have just been brainwashed. I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't expect to see the destruction of the Indigo Lantern in this book. The uh, the Finding out the Guardians of the Universe are the ultimate evil that they're building up to, yeah, I kind of saw that one coming. Yeah, but. we kind of saw that one coming. And finally, finally, hopefully they'll do something about them. Um, but, you know, this book, a lot happens in issue nine. You know, not only the destruction of the, the Indigo battery, but the return of Black Hand to his normal state of mind. You know, it's, it's only done in one panel, but, you know, Black Hand is now back. You know, the, the, the guy behind Blackest Night. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're building up to something big here. Yeah, and I love their conversations about Blackest Night in this book because it gets brought up a lot. And the, uh, the general com- conversation about it is that, yeah, the uh, the Walking Dead were defeatable, but the Guardians of the Universe aren't. Yeah. So I, I'm looking for yeah. – Green Lantern has been a great book. You seem to be enjoying New Guardians. Maybe I'll pick that up in digital. Yeah, I'm enjoying both. I'm enjoying the way that they're tying together. I'm not reading Core. I'm kind of curious if it's tying in like these are, too. I uh, – so I I – I'm liking where the story's going, and it's definite. It does seem they're all going to come together in a Green Lantern crossover that is probably reminiscent of what they're doing over with Night of the Owls. Exactly. They're definitely going somewhere, and where they're going is the Guardians of the Universe are evil, and they're going to have to be dealt with. Which I'm okay with. But, you know, speaking of crossovers, since we're talking about a lot of crossovers today. Might as well keep going with the biggest crossover of the Marvel Universe right now, Avengers vs. X-Men. ton of tie-in books these last couple of weeks, uh, including a a new issue of the main title, Avengers vs. X-Men number three. Now, is anyone reading this one with me? Uh, I I mean, are you talking about uh, AVX3? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I read AVX3. I read that in the uh, new Avengers tie-in. So what'd you think of uh, AVX three? Is it really just the two of us? I read it. Oh, oh okay. 
I was gonna say I knew Tim was out because of the uh, John Romita Junior art, but I thought I thought Wayne was still in with us. Oh yeah, I'm still on board. I I'm enjoying the crossover. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and I am too. I got to be honest. I, I thought it was really John Romita Junior art is not bugging me, and where there are some story issues that I have concerns with, I enjoyed the book. Yeah, I uh, I did feel that this this issue was a little more filler. But I guess after, you know, an issue of pure fight scene begin to end, anything you followed up with might seem kind of filler or transition, maybe a better word. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I enjoyed the Cap Wolverine throwdown. That it, it's not that Wolverine isn't siding with the Avengers. It's that Cap can't trust him not to kill Hope. I got to say, I thought that was a little transparent. I thought that was a little forced. I thought they, it seems like the writer's saying... We need to alienate Wolverine from the Avengers. How are we going to do that without him just, you know, switching sides in the middle of the fight? And then they came up, well, Cap's going to kick him out of a jet. I can see that. I liked him being kicked out of a jet, though. Yeah, I mean, it was a good scene. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the, the action bit of it. I, I like how they set it up and how they, they... But from a plot standpoint, it seems like it's just they were looking for a stick to poke Wolverine with to force him, to give him a uh, a reason to switch sides. And it yeah. seems like they made this up to make be that stick. As much as I'm enjoying the crossover, I think this was the, I think this was the weakest issue of the crossover so far. I mean, it's, it did seem like it was filler, transition. I don't like that Ileana seems to have beaten Doc Strange because I don't think that should ever happen. Uh, if you're in limbo... It's arguable, I'd say. But it just didn't seem like... This did not move the story along in any way except for alienating Wolverine. And I didn't need a full issue to alienate Wolverine. Yeah, it seems to... For me, it was very much... We had the first fight on Utopia. Now we need to get to the second fight. Well, we need to split everybody up for the second fights, which are going to be in smaller groups in these different locations. Yeah, and to a certain extent, I think that's why I think that's a symptom of having a twelve-issue series versus a six or seven-issue series. You know, you have issues where it's basically transition to the next big sequence. Um, I thought the Cap versus Wolverine fight, like you said, I thought it was forced. I think it's important to the storyline, but I it kind of I thought it was a little forced considering Wolverine's not hidden from the very beginning what he wanted to do. Well, so. and Wolverine's their big inside source on all the stuff. I mean. He may be a loose cannon, but I would think Cap would keep him close for that to be that source of information for them as as the things unfold. And then when Wolverine tries to go hope, then they do something about it. Yeah, I mean, again, an enjoyable book. Uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm 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 on board. I'm on board for this storyline. Yeah, and uh, you know the, the tie-in issues. You were talking about the New Avengers one. Um, it's I gotta be the New Avengers is very loose of a tie-in. <laughs> Probably. But I'm enjoying it. I, I love reading. Like I said, I love reading about Kun Loon. I, and I talked yeah, about I was that say, with issue 25. I was a big, uh, and that's actually why I picked 25, was I heard you guys talking about it, and that it was basically an Iron Fist story. I was like, man, I really, I really like Iron Fist. So, um, yeah, no, 25 and 26, and like you said, it's probably only going to be loosely associated because it, it probably won't play directly into the main plot line. But, man, I uh, I enjoy the storyline, though. Yeah, so. What I'm really curious to hear is that Avengers Academy has always done a great job of tie-ins in previous, you know, storylines. Even the Fear Itself tie-in we loved, and we hated everything about Fear Itself. I 
I'm getting the vibe that Tim doesn't feel the same about the uh, Avengers vs. X-Men tie-in for Avengers Academy. I'm going to get up on my pedestal here. I, I've i loved Christos Gage's writing on Avengers Academy. And Avengers Academy 29 has uh, Tom Grummet doing the art, and he does a bang-up job. So, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing necessarily wrong with, uh, you know, the visuals. But this is... The, the second, like, little, like, mini arc with, they had the crappy-ass runaways, and now we've got a bunch of fucking mutant characters that I don't like. Christos, the reason I liked Fear Itself tie-ins, because it tied into the actual goings-on of what was happening in Fear Itself, as it related to, like, the five characters in this book that Christos Gage has been cultivating for, you know, two and a half years now. Th- that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in those five characters. Now, they've added a couple, and, you know, that's okay if you want to add a little bit more attention to the group. But stop spamming me with crappy teenage superheroes that suck bad enough that they don't get their own book. I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm tired of not having enough of the five or six main characters that I like, where they only get, like, maybe a page worth of material in, in, in a book that I'm buying for them. I'm tired of it. And so, I'm I'm off Avengers Academy until AVX is over because that's all they're going to do. So I uh, I do agree that we haven't seen enough of actual character development in these characters because of the tie-ins. The uh, the Runaways one I completely disagree with you on because I loved those issues and I love the Runaway characters. You know I've read their books and I really enjoy those characters and I liked how they interplayed in. This one I can't say the same about the characters. I didn't know a lot of these characters. I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't have any opinions of most of them. It it definitely wasn't as good as, like, the Fear Itself tie-in or anything. I didn't hate the book. I didn't hate the other characters. But I got to go back to the same thing I felt on the last one. This kind of felt like filler. What I expected to see happen, the uh, so the scene where they're uh, taking Metal and they're letting him surf on land, I'm entirely expecting Hazmat to go all Jealous Girlfriend because that's her character. We've seen her go all jealous girlfriend, yet she's hugging and thanking this person who made her boyfriend smile and happy. That kind of seemed out of character for what we've seen of her. And I really didn't, like you were saying, Tim, like, even with the, the Runaways, I thought there was actual, they did some work to develop the characters with the tie-in. But this, I'm not seeing any character development on any of these characters during the course of the issues. I none of the, these characters grew by interacting with these X-Men. And it was a lot more of the of those characters than the characters we've been reading. The one thing, you know, the couple things I did really like about this, I love Sebastian Shaw in this book. That uh he's, you know, being kept prisoner and he he's one thing he asked for is a book and he just spends hours bashing himself in the head with the book to get strong enough to break himself free. I thought that was a that was a cool take on a the character who apparently has lost his memory, but I haven't read these X-Men books, so I don't know why, and seems kind of pointless. Let's talk about another AVX tie-in that uh, made me drop a book because it crapped all over it. Paul, how'd you like Wolverine and the X-Men 10? You did, did you read Wolverine and the X-Men 10? Chris Bacalo for the fail. So that means no. I thought it was good. I really liked it, um, and what I, one of the things I liked about it is that it kind of 
it kind of read like an essential reading. Uh, after Wolverine is dropped out of the airplane in AVX number three, he returns to the school where Cyclops is waiting for him. Um, and so this features a not a not a battle, but a confrontation between Cyclops and Wolverine. And so I I I think it really worked for me reading you know this one after AVX number three. I thought it was a good book. It's written by Jason Aaron, who also is writing AVX. And so I, I recommend it. And the and because it's not full of action, because I think Chris Boccolo when he's I think your your concerns with him typically come from his action sequences and how hard they are to follow. But because it's, it's mostly a talky book and, you know, like, it's more of a, a – it's less of a physical confrontation than more of a, an emotional and, and a spoken confrontation between the two. I think the art works well for the book. So I, I really liked Wolverine and the X-Men number 10. I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed AVX number 3. And I, I even liked the Chris Boccolo art. Now, how, how prominent were the actual kids in the book? Now, I will say that other than up, and there's so in Wolverine and the X Men number ten, the team is split. The team gets split because some of Wolverine's team actually do go off with Cyclops, um, including Iceman and Angel. Um, and so you you have, but the, the the main focus, as far as the kids are concerned, are on the characters that you're that they've been focusing on characters like Brew and the Kid Apocalypse. I don't remember his name, um, Genesis. And so you know there there's some focus on those characters, but it's primarily Wolverine and Cyclops. But it, it's a good book, and it's important to the series. Um, it actually, you know, the, the, like I said, the team is splitting, and so yes, I know you're not a big. Chris Boccolo fan, but if you've been following Wolverine and the X-Men, I do think this book, this issue, did have an influence on the series. It's not just some random tie-in that they're going to go back and Wolverine and the X-Men number 11 to the same characters and nothing changed. I do think we see a definitive shift here. So, sorry, Tim, but I I, I recommend checking it out. Hmm... Well, let, let, we're, we're, we've been hitting the Marvel books uh, pretty hard with the AVX titles. One of the ones that uh, I think everybody on this podcast has read was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 685, continuation of the ends of the Earth, uh, you know, uh, event, we'll just say. Well, let's start with how nice that cover looks. Uh, oh, anytime yeah. you want to put Spider-Man in between Black Widow and Silver Sable on a cover, I'm, I'm all for that. Or, you know, anywhere, like in a porno or whatever. Porn parody coming up soon. Anyway, um, I think that's the newest thing from a Ponte Studios, right? Yeah, it's on its way. Good. good. Filming after the podcast. <laughs> In your living room. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, Spider-Man continues to uh, be be set against Doc Ock uh, as, you know, you finally find out this issue. Is Doc Ock really humanitarian or is he a maniac? The answer may surprise you. No, or not. No, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how Spider-Man put it to him. He's like, you're going to prove me wrong now, right? You're going to show me I was just a crazy fool thinking you were a maniac, right? <laughs> Doc Ock's like, no, no, you you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> but no, I uh, I giggled through about half this book. I just, uh, I kind of like the new tension between him and Silver Sable, although I didn't really see that coming. Yeah. I'm all for it. 
Well, I have, I have a, I have a con- con- question and concern about that. All right, yes. so I'm okay with the tension, but is he talking about Mary Jane? Because they're hinting that he's talking about Mary Jane, but I mean, is he is he turning down Silver Sable because of Mary Jane? I where where was the setup for that too? I mean, there's there was no interaction before all of this except for with Mary Jane, but it wasn't the type of interaction that would have him turn down, you know. Someone like Silver Sable. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, I think it's either Mary Jane or possibly, uh, it could be Carly. Yeah, I mean, they might be, you know, they might be showing that it's Mary Jane, but, you know, might be like a false front. He may be talking about Carly, but... He may want to reconcile with her. But but he's not... Well, okay, but I have a, a problem with that, too, because he tried to get with Black Cat. Uh, wasn't that, that wasn't in the main series, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was in the crossover with Daredevil, but it was in well, the Amazing Spider-Man issue. No, that wasn't, that wasn't amazing. That wasn't amazing. That was, uh, Avenging. No, that was the Punisher crossover. This was the previous crossover. I'm pretty sure it was an amazing that he tried to get with Black Cat. It was well, the listen, issue after Carly broke well, up with him. You can't, you can't blame, okay. you can't blame Peter Parker for trying to hit Black Cat. I mean, she's got Rebound Girl written all over her. I mean, she's his kryptonite. Yeah. And he specifically mentions in this issue, I promised her. And it's like, I I don't remember a conversation where he promised anybody. The closest is that conversation with Mary Jane in the diner. Yeah, so maybe that's what he's referring to, but I I find it interesting that he would turn down Silver Sable for Mary Jane, considering that relationship is, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they're trying to build up the Mary Jane thing and... And I'm, I would be okay with that too. It just, it, it did strike me off guard that Silver Sable one was trying to get in his, pe- in his spider pants, but so two one, that he turned it down. I say one of the things I wanted to comment on with this, we had a conversation offline about the Marvel architects, and the question is why is Dan Slott not a Marvel architect? When we look at this story, everything about this story could have had major tie-ins. We look at Avengers versus X Men. This is tying in with books like crazy. Some of these Spider-Man stories have been big enough that they should have had tie-in books in the regular main books because they're impacting. And he's not being treated like an architect in that his stories, while they have this huge range and should have impact, they aren't. You don't see, you never saw what happened in FF or Fantastic Four in regards to Spider-Island. You don't see an Avengers what happened with the Avengers being beaten by Doc Ock. And it's just he's not being treated like an architect when his stories could very well be shaping future Marvel stories. And that's the difference I'm seeing. When they give someone the architect title, they're making their stories be the ones that actually are shaping the Marvel Universe, the ones that are impacting other titles. And Slot seems to be getting the short end of the stick here because his stories should be affecting the Marvel Universe as a whole, but it's all contained with an amazing Spider-Man. Now, to be fair, I can't blame Marvel for letting Bendis have an event, have, an, have a major event. Now, Fat Fraction last year, yeah, I, I could point to some problems with, but, but you know, with that line of thinking, but that's fine. But I think what we're saying, Marvel, is, you know, Spider Island was a really good event. Um, you know, Ends of the Earth has been has been has been just as good, in my opinion. I think next summer it needs it needs to be Dan Slott driving the bus. Well, and that's the thing. When you look at these architects, I think each architect should have an area of the universe that they are 
really architecting that they're bringing the stories together on. And Dan Slott should have one of those sections. I Matt Fraction should not be an architect. Dan Slott should be one of the architects. Mark Wade, if he was willing to work more with Marvel, should be an architect as well. And they should each have their own section. And I don't argue Bendis. Bendis should be an architect. Bendis does set direction for the Marvel books. And after even more reading the X-Men, I can't, I can't argue with Jason Aaron's being an architect either. He's a really good writer. I think the guys who are the architects are the architects because all of their books have been building to AVX. All their books were building to AVX. I really think that's why those guys were the architects. And, you know, whereas AVX is influencing the Marvel Universe as a whole, I... I think AVX is leading to reboots in the Avengers and X-Men titles. I don't mean reboots like reboots and continuity. I mean like actual, you know, like we're going to see new number ones and restarted series and things like that. Yeah, um, but they just did that with Avengers like two years ago. And they just did it with X-Men, They, you know, with Uncanny X-Men in particular. Guys, and I don't, I don't disagree. Topic books. <laughs> I, see, I don't disagree at all, Paul. I think you're right. I think it is leading to a whole bunch of reboots and a whole bunch of number ones. And I am sick and tired of it with Marvel. They're doing this too often. Avengers keeps rebooting, keeps getting shakeups and new teams, and now we're back to... So many Avengers books that, you know, you can't keep track of all of them. Same thing with X-Men. They keep rebooting, keep restarting. And there are so many X-Men books now, you can't keep track of all of them. Yeah, I wanna, someone, can someone name me the last Marvel book that made it to issue 100 without oh, taking God, its no. old title? It's no. old numbering back? Thunderbolts. No. Okay, yeah, I'll give Thunderbolts. But no, Thunderbolts oh, took it? over, didn't Thunderbolts take over? Old number? No, you're right. Uh, okay, there you go, Thunderbolts. Wham! That's, that's a good example. Yeah, I mean, but most of them just, you know, they take over the old numbering to get, you know, and now, you know, and so, I mean, there are titles that have lasted 600 and something issues, but, like, New Avengers, you know, why did that have to get rebooted to number one to basically be the same writer and everything? Um so I'm, I'm, I agree with you, Wayne. I, I think the reboots and the restarts are a little annoying, and I think it's Marvel's way of getting new number ones without rebooting their universe. Though I have, as, have you guys seen the preview for the second arc of Avengers vs X Men? No, I saw the preview for the end of the first arc, but that I haven't seen the preview of the the second arc yet. Well, it shows basically the the planet Earth in the shape of an X, and at the top of it, it says "No more Avengers" in quotes kind of like a No More Mutants kind of thing. And I'm wondering if that's how the Scarlet Witch will play into it. Hmm. And if so, are we looking at kind of a Flashpoint situation or a House of M situation where we get yet another alternate universe and when hmm. things come back, we're brought back with similar universe but some changes and, number, and new number ones and things like that. I wonder if that's what we're seeing, if we're going to see that after Avengers vs. X-Men. You know, and I'm still standing by my theory that the Phoenix is not coming for Hope. That Hope is tying into the Phoenix right now because of what Hope is, and that she can tie into that power. As it gets closer, she's going to get stronger. But I still think Phoenix is coming for Wanda. You know, Paul, if you're right, and that's what's going on, there's not enough podcasting contained the nerd rage that's going to come out of my mouth. I could be wrong. I'm just, you know, the fact that they're pulling in Scarlet Witch so hard on this... 
there, I, I know we're going to see some reality-altering events. I mean, what crossover doesn't have some type of alternate universe going on um, when it comes to... Spider Island? Yeah, there you go. It, they were really crossovers, though. They got tie-ins, but they didn't get tie-ins with issues. Now, I, I am in agreement with you guys. I do believe Dan Slott has proven himself worthy enough to take on a crossover event for the Marvel Universe. I mean, because let's be honest, Fear Itself was essentially it was a storyline. It was a not only was it awful, it was a Thor book. I mean, just I mean, the Avengers, just like Spider-Man pulls in the Avengers for his big arcs, Fear Itself felt like a Thor book that pulled in the Avengers, but it didn't actually have any influence over the Marvel Universe when it was all said and done. I mean, Spider Island was objectively, measurably, about 2.5 million times better than Fear Itself, and yet all the money and promotion went to Fear Itself. And now we've got AVX, which I enjoy AVX, but Ends of the Earth is better, and it's got better art. So I don't understand why they're not giving more, even if they want to promote both events, why why aren't they giving more time and money and promotion to the Dan Slott Spider-Man events than these these other ones? And yeah, if this... A promotion to Ends of the Earth. I've seen a lot of promotion for Ends of the Earth. I mean, yeah, it's not as much as Avengers vs. X-Men, but... You know, I mean, that's Avengers versus X-Men. That's I mean, we were saying, you, you know, I think we're seeing promos hired. for, we were seeing promos for Avengers versus X-Men in books, you know, six months ago. And, you know, Ends of the Earth, you don't hear about until it's almost upon us. Well, you know, and I think Ends of the Earth, they probably hired the same people that marketed John Carter. Jesus they're Christ. just expecting you. They're just expecting you to know what Ends of the Earth is. You see a picture, it says Ends of the Earth, you see Spider-Man. Avengers versus X-Men, Really, you don't need any explanation about what the story is. It's right there in the name. It's, it's Avengers versus, versus X-Men. X-Men. Right. Ends of the Earth is a storyline that you actually need a little explanation for, because Ends of the Earth isn't a, uh, a title that explains it. Oh, heaven if, forbid we should have to explain something so that the you know people that are retarded five-year-olds can get. Well, if you want to talk about... Remini. If you want to I'm talk just about saying the, the advertising isn't living up to the story. If you want to talk about the, uh, like, Dark Carter, the, uh, the, you know, having an impact in your series, I mean, look at the last page of 685, assuming that's not a coma fantasy or a dream, uh, this book is obviously going to, this effect is going to have a large effect on the world at large in the 616. Uh, I think it's a fake. He, you think it's a fake? Yeah. Oh, no, no, here's my bitch. We won't see this in any other book in Marvel. Even if it is massive destruction, Spider Island caused destruction all over New York. We didn't see that in a single other book because they, because Dan Slott isn't an architect and they don't treat him like it. They let his stories live in Amazing Spider-Man with no impact when they should have it. Yeah, but we even fear itself. Yeah, in and Spider-Man. I'll even one up that bitch in the fact that they're not even going to put it in other Spider-Man books. You're not going to see an Avenging Spider-Man. You're not going to see it mentioned in Scarlet Spider in passing. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, Scarlet Spider may be able to be, they may mention it there because it, it at least has has been part of some of the tie-ins. You know, hasn't been part of this. But I think there'll be some mention of it possibly. But I agree. They're, they're not going to do anything with this in any other book. Even if it's just this one location got damaged, it won't even be mentioned in another book because they're not treating him like the architect he should be. Yeah, all you'd want is one little bird like, holy bleep, North Korea's on fire. You know, that's all you had to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would that would be fine. But, Paul, you were going to say something before you interrupted. 
No, I was. I mean, I. You're right. I don't think we're going to see it. But I mean, in actuality, we don't see the influence of the other of the outside Marvel universe in Spider-Man either. You know, and and maybe that's why we like reading Amazing Spider-Man because <laughs> Fear I mean, itself didn't cross over into it. You know, like AVX that's isn't true. crossing over into it. You know, the, the the things that are going over in the large Marvel in the larger Marvel universe are not really affecting Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, we're getting, we're seeing him with FF. We're seeing him with the Avengers. I get that. So Dan Slott is taking in, pulling in the characters that he wants to pull in. But as far as the large events, I think that's one of the reasons we like it so much, is that it doesn't get pulled into all the crossovers. You know, sure. I don't I don't talk about the Ultimate stuff much on here, because it's I would have nothing to say other than, wow, this stuff is good right now. But that is one thing I give Bendis a ton of credit for right now because they're letting Bendis be an architect again for the Ultimate Universe. There are mentions in each book of what's happening in the other books. They're not focused on it, but like, here's a TV screen talking about, oh, Sentinels are killing mutants in you know the Ultimate title. It's not anything to do with what's going on in the Ultimate title, but they're making nods that all of this is happening at the same time and letting you piece together where everything is in the story. It actually feels like a like an architected universe, which is a lot easier to do when there's only three books. But sure. that's something I'm not seeing anywhere else right now in comics, and I kind of miss the old, old Marvel feel from the uh, when Marvel was first uh, around, where you just randomly have a character, you'd have Spider-Man swinging in the background of a panel. Not part of the story. It's just acknowledging, yes, these are these exist in the same universe. Yeah. I I miss that storyline wise. Uh, I see that a lot in the DC books. In the New Fifty Two, I do see a lot of mentions of other books. Like, do you want to know what's going on on the TV in the background? Pick up Stormwatch number seven or something like that. So, and I, I do like some of that. As long as it doesn't make me feel like I'm missing important story beats, you know, it's more of like, hey, if you're interested, check this out too. But uh, no, I, I do. I am seeing that, which is I'm I'm liking that aspect of the new Fifty Two. But to a certain extent, you know, there there's there's a case for it, and there's a case against it. And you know, so let's move away from the well, crossover. No, no, real quick. Well, now, like, one last thing. Out of, out of you guys, is anyone else going to pick up the End of the Earth, Ends of the Earth, uh, number one book that comes up later this month? Yeah, I am. I the, will flip through it to see. Tim? I don't, I don't think so. Because I got to tell you, I, I like me eating Jack, but I really want to see some more Big Hero 6 because I don't know if they just created these guys for this or what, but I've never heard of them, and there's there's a Tyrannosaurus and a giant robot standing next to each other. I guess that's two of the six. I need to read more about these guys. <laughs> I think I'm going to pick it up. I uh, I really do. It's uh, I think it's next week actually. So oh, I'm on board. And, and the kangaroos in it. Come on. <laughs> so moving away from the crossovers for a little bit, and you know, as we're nearing the end of our show here, let's kind of focus on some self-contained books. Um, some some crime books actually. Uh, Daredevil number twelve came out recently. Uh, Mark Wade, art by Chris Somney. In fact, the first issue by Chris Somney. And Tim, you picked up this issue, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did. So, what'd you think? Um, well, I'm still not a Chris Somney fan. <laughs> that that hasn't changed. Um, uh, but uh, you know, if you compare it to 1960s Marvel books. It seems like he's that's the style that he's going for, and although it's not my fa- it's not my favorite style, I find it interesting. 
Um, but more specifically, the, the story in Daredevil 12 was kind of a done-in-one story about uh, him and Foggy in law school, and I, I thought that was a pretty uh, interesting story. So, although I, I enjoyed Daredevil 12, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to hit my hit my pull every every week. This was my book of the week. I absolutely loved it. Not just the flashback with the uh, with Foggy and telling uh, you know basically telling a story of how they became such good friends. I loved his date. The because uh, this whole setup for the book, the whole reason you see the background of the the Foggy story is he's on a date with a an assistant DA. I don't know if she was set up before I started reading the book or not, but I really like her character, and he's telling her this story. But she wanted to experience what life was like for him, so she wears a blindfold on their date. And it was just that whole concept I thought was really cool. I like the flashbacks. She apparently is has this obsession with, proving that he's Daredevil. So you have all of these scenes in the background where he's wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm not Daredevil. She's flashing her chest with her, and her bra says, you are Daredevil. And just, I like their interactions together. I really like that character. And the background story was a different kind of Daredevil story than I've ever read before. Because it wasn't a Daredevil story. It was a Matt Murdock and Foggy story. And I said this, it was a done-in-one, which is Actually, at this point, I really am enjoying a lot of the done-in-one stories when they come through. I thought the writing was strong, the characters were great, and this was, like I said, by far my book of the week, just because I loved I loved the interaction between the characters, and I'm not getting a lot of that in some of the other books I'm reading right now. Yeah, no, I enjoyed Daredevil number 12, and I, I, I enjoy every issue of Daredevil, so th- that's no surprise. And I'm sorry, Tim, I know you don't like Chris Somney, but... I think he's a perfect addition to this title. I think his art really worked on the book. Yeah, it's much better than uh, than Umberto Ramos, that's for sure. Tim, ah, if, 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 if it makes you feel if it makes you feel better, Tim, that's one of the reasons is that I'm not reading Daredevils, the Chris Sumney art as well. All right, I, I'm telling you, even if you have an issue with the art, the writing overcomes it. Just like Dan Slott's writing overcomes Umberto Ramos's art in Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, I'm getting drunk. Or, or, or like Brian Michael Bendis's uh, writing in AVX overcomes the John Romita Jr. art. Stop! Uh, take a shot. Take running a shot. out of running out of drink. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's wrap up talking about the Spider from Dynamite, written by David Liss, art by Colton Worley, and all I have to say about this book: Holy shit, this book was awesome. It, enjoyed it, did you? I enjoyed the hell out of this book. You know, I almost bought it, but I didn't. So I, I'm very curious what it's about. Well, I mean, essentially, it's a it's a New York City vigilante who calls himself the Spider. It's very pulp. Uh, it's very very pulp. And I'm a little vague on on the time it's set in, but there are zeppelins in the sky. So uh, I was guessing 19. You know, I'd say that they make a modern reference in the book. So I think I, I think we're looking at kind of one of those timeless things and like it could be any time but they do make a modern reference somewhere in this book do they yeah it it kind of took me out of it to be honest with you but and i don't remember what it was it was some type of modern media reference but other than that it could be the 1920s or 30s 
Well, certainly the cars. You don't you don't really see a shot of any of the cars head on in its entirety, but the kind of the side shots you see of the cars certainly make them seem modern. But on the other hand, you got Zeppelins tooling around the sky too. So it, the timeline is somewhat undefined, but it's it's a pulp feel. Uh, you, you've got this vigilante who calls himself the Spy, who basically came back from the war and wanted to do something uh, to make the city safe for the common person again. So he does that by taking large caliber bullets and putting them through bad people, uh, and he does it very well. Yeah, it's you know, and he's not a good guy either. You know, he, he's kind of a jerk, and he's he's his life isn't perfect. He's kind of in a rut. Uh, oh. Yeah, he mentions Tom Cruise in the book. Oh, what, where, where is There's that? There's a reference to Tom Cruise um, when he's talking to the uh, the Indian guy, I think, or the, the detective. Okay. When he first gets to the crime scene, there's a reference to Tom Cruise. Gotcha. But other than that, yeah, you're right, it could be any time. But it, it is very noir, uh, and it, it, it has a supernatural element at the end, too. And just, it, I thought I thought it was a gorgeous book. I thought it was really well written. It's dark. It's just a, a if you like this type of stuff, you know, like uh, if you like the shadow from Dynamite, you're gonna love this book. Well, and to give you a feel, some of the people that you know that they reference some of the things the Spider has done before the start of issue one, and he's taken out people like the Cholera King, the Silver Falcon, and the Terror, terror in his legions. So these aren't. He's not, it's not like he's blowing away gangsters. There's actually, you know, pulp noir supervillains involved as well. So, and obviously, yes, the someone somewhere is making something bad happen to dead bodies. So, you know, as far as the art's concerned. <clears throat> For the most part, I really enjoyed it, but there is this point where they're kind of at that crime scene you're talking about, and everybody's wearing a hat, and everybody's wearing an overcoat, and they start to look kind of all exactly the same in some of the panels. And there were parts where I had trouble telling which one was which. I had to look for, now, did he have a goatee, or did he have a mustache, or was he clean-shaven to try to remember which one was which? I could see that. Yeah, I, I I could see that complaint. But besides that, I mean, it's it's kind of a small thing. It was only for, uh, you know, one page where I was trying to puzzle out who was who because they all had the slouch hats pulled low and the, you know, the overcoats with the colors flipped up. But, um, but no, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes with this whole supernatural element that's going on. So you're on board for Spider number two? I am. I'm not reading any pulp. I know you recently got back into the shadow, uh, and I feel like I should be reading some sort of pulp book. So uh, I think I'll make the spider my home. But but, but I, let me ask you. Here's a question. Let's say one of our listeners wanted to read something pulp. Would you recommend the shadow or the spider? The spider. Both both dynamite books. Both dynamite books. I enjoyed the spider more than I enjoyed the shadow. Really? I bought the shadow, but I haven't bought the spider, and I haven't read the shadow. It's on the top of my uh, my pile of books that I'm backed up on. Yeah, I enjoyed the spider more than I enjoyed the shadow. Now I enjoyed both. Um, I will say the spider feels darker than the shadow, and it could just be that the spider has that darker supernatural element to it. And there not terribly much happened in the first issue of the shadow, but um, I'd say you can't go wrong picking up either one. But I, I enjoyed the spider more. Now the shadow number two is due out sometime in the next couple weeks, so. I'm going to give that second issue a shot and see how it goes. But in addition to that, next week, we've got more Night of the Owls. We've got more AVX. But perhaps most exciting for me, Danger Club number two comes out next week. Oh, 
Heck yeah. Cannot wait. Actually, I've already read it, but we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Danger, you know, I, I haven't. I, I'm, yeah, I just, I'm buying the issue on my iPad, so I, I haven't read the preview copy yet. I'm just going to wait till it drops next week, but I am so excited about Danger Club. Danger Club 1 was so good. Yeah. So we will be talking about all that and more next week. So, uh, you know, we lost Aaron, so I'll just say goodbye for him, and uh, we'll t- see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye. See you later. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.